to the Ephesians and also the last chapter of the book, chapter 28. I failed to announce at uh, announcement time that one of the other members of our church passed away. His name is Dick Leach. For those of you who know Dick and Bernice, uh, Dick has been sick for a long, long time. Uh, please think of them. Your thoughts and prayers there. This service is a private service, so we're unable to go and visit at the funeral home. It's just for the family. So I know you'll be getting in touch with her um, later by phone and things of that nature. Acts chapter 28, first, Paul is uh, under house arrest in Rome. Uh, he wanted to see Rome, and he ministered all over the place. But on one occasion, he says, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I want to see Rome one of these days, too. Rome was the center of the world, uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, It was where all the action and decisions took place. Uh, But uh, he was arrested and uh, he was sent there to talk to Caesar, to appeal his case to Caesar. And instead of throwing him in some dark dungeon, at least at this time, they put him in a his own rented house. He was under house arrest. And uh, if you'll look with me to Acts 28, 28, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. What prompted this uh, statement was the passage that he had previously quoted to them from Isaiah, verse 26, 27. In that passage, the Bible says that the Jewish people will listen, but they won't hear. Uh, They will reject Christ, in effect, as their Messiah. And then God will turn to the Gentile nations. And Paul says here, listen, they're going to hear it. And you and I are living proof that the Gentile nations did hear it. Verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Uh, The only restriction Paul had here in this house was the fact he couldn't go out. Uh, He was confined to this house, uh, but people could come and go, and uh, you couldn't get a better situation, I guess, in his business, because uh, everybody that came to see him, he, of course, you know what he talked about, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, he told them about the Lord. He wrote things. He wrote the book of Ephesians there. He wrote the book of Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. He was busy there. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbidding him. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing and Back in those days, whenever people wrote letters to one another, they always they didn't put their name at the end like we do, you know. They put their name at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm an apostle, not by my own will. He says, this wasn't my idea. Usually, if you ever interview a minister... They'll say to you, this is not what I had in mind for my life. Uh, I wanted to do this or I wanted to do that. This was not my first choice. 
But then the Lord begins to speak to that person and put his calling upon them. And uh, it's God's will then for them to do this thing. And that was, that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, he's writing to the saints, uh, the Christians who are in Ephesus. And he gives this very common introduction, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was reading a commentary on that and it said that uh, the reason why he put that all together like that, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, is to uh, put both of these persons on equal ground. God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. Just like this. Coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal. Both of, all of them, two of them, uh, wish you grace and peace. And then he goes into a time here in his writings praising the Lord. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here is the word from which we get the English word eulogy. Uh, we do a lot of those here in the church. Eulogies. Uh, the word eulogy means to speak well. Uh, and so, here, praise. That's what we're doing. We praise the Lord. We speak well of Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Uh, in Bible college, I had this professor. His name was Kenneth Conley. Uh, he was from Scotland and one of the most incredible Bible teachers on the planet at the time, I'm sure. And he told us as young kids sitting in his class, he said, the book of Ephesians is the deepest book in the Bible. That's what he said. It's the deepest book in the Bible. You know, some books you can read, it's like, you know, you can get through it all right. You get into the first part of the book of Ephesians, it's like, whoa. This is like I'm underwater here. You know, it's really deep. Well, taken from Kenneth Connolly, he knew what he was talking about. And the reason why it is so deep is because it's doctrinal. Doctrine is what the church believes. It's what makes us different than other churches. It's uh, the principles on which we stand. It's doctrinal. The first three chapters are doctrine. Uh, the next three chapters are practical. Now, we like practical things, don't we? You know, a lot of practical stuff in Ephesians, but you have to wade through the doctrine to get there. And so, uh, let's begin to think about it now, this morning, okay? Let's entitle what we say today, The Blessings of Salvation. Paul invokes his apostolic title, Apostle. This word, Apostle, here, verse number one, is in the original language... Uh, apostolos, from two words, apo, which means away, and stello, which means to send. And so you put them both together, you marry the words, and you have to send away. That's what an apostle is. An apostle is someone who has been sent on a mission. Uh, a mission. An apostle is a messenger. Actually, a synonym of the word apostle is angelos, from which we get the English word angel. Angel. Angels are messengers. They are messengers sent forth by God. Uh, we have our Saturday night service, and, and people love our Saturday night service. And usually before the service, we have two or three guys right up here praying. At five o'clock sharp, sharp, we have an appointment with God. If we're like two minutes late, I think God says, where are they? Five o'clock, we're praying here at the front. I, I spent a long time 
since I ever saw anybody miss praying that God would send his angels to the service. That God would uh, bring his angels onto our property, around our buildings, protect us and guide us in all things. Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for me and for you. We're the heirs of salvation. They're really our servants, angels. When we pray to God, he dispatches them to come to us. I pray for them all the time. I pray that God will bring angels into our environment. They are messengers and so are apostles. Now, I know that all of us in the church know how many original apostles there were. There were how many? There were twelve. One of them messed up, right? And so he got replaced. Uh, But, you know, they were the original. Whenever we think of the word apostle, that's what we think about. They, the twelve apostles. But, you know, there were other people in the Bible that were called apostles also. Let me give you just a rundown there of who they were. Barnabas was an apostle, the Bible says. Uh, A man named Andronicus and Johnius was an apostle. Epaphroditus was an apostle. Silas and Timothy were apostles. But I guess the biggest one that, that kind of like sets us back on our heels is, is the one that's found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It goes like this. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Christ is called an apostle in the Bible. And, uh, and so, he is the most awesome one of all. He's the most awesome missionary. He's the most awesome messenger of God. He came the farthest distance to give the greatest message. He is an apostle, to be sure. But whenever we think of the word apostle in the strictest sense, we think of the twelve apostles. I was driving down the road a few years ago, and I was listening to the radio, and some radio preacher was on there, and he called himself Apostle Bill or something like that. He was having a good time playing with the word. And I thought, boy, that guy ought not to do that, but you know... Let's give him a break, okay? Uh, In a wider sense, everybody's an apostle. We're all sent forth to minister, in a wider sense. And some of those people I just mentioned to you, they weren't in the original 12, but they went by that title. So I thought I'd call Bill up on the phone and instruct him, but I thought later, no, I'm not going to mess with him. You know, apostles apostles were uh, people that God used to lay the foundation of the church. Uh, they were used in preaching and teaching and writing. And, and uh, God threw some miracles in along the way that God used the apostles to, to draw the attention to their ministry. For instance, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Truly the signs or the miracles of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, this letter was a letter from prison uh, or house arrest. He writes, Grace, what is that? That's undeserving love and favor. Do we deserve the blessing of God? Not on your life. But God is good, isn't he? Uh, That's why I guess one of the most favorite, maybe the most favorite Christian song in all of our society is Amazing Grace. What? How sweet the sound. We love to sing that because we're amazed at the grace of God, aren't we? And when what the, the grace of God means the favor of God, the blessing of God. Undeserved. We didn't learn it. He just gave it. And peace. Uh, This is a wonderful introduction, something that everybody's looking for. Many years ago, I had a a person come into my office and he said, Listen, I've I've got almost everything money can buy, but I just want peace in my home. 
Uh, peace is a wonderful thing in the home, isn't it? Uh, peace is a wonderful thing in your life. Uh, and people today in our world are trying to find peace, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Uh, they're looking in drugs and alcohol and pleasure. I'll tell you what, that just kind of numbs the whole pain, doesn't it? It doesn't bring peace. Things just get, wor- just get worse after that. Uh, we live in a world that uh, people are looking for, for all those things. Uh, this book, and this is, this is just inserted right here. Uh, this book is written by inspiration. And, and you know, th- this doesn't say this right here, but I'm just like using the, I think it's a computer term, importing it for you. Okay. Are you impressed? Importing it. Imp- uh, let's look at the verse. Uh, this book is written by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. Let's read this together, okay? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Now, go back to the top there. How much of the Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Some of the Scripture? All of it. Now, you know what that means? That means that we can't go through the Bible and say, you know, I really believe that, but I don't believe that. I really think that's from God, but I know that's not from God because I don't want to do it. We can't do that. We can't, like, pick and choose. You know, we can't, like, tear pages out and throw it and say, hey, listen, I don't like that. It's all from God. Inspiration. That's an interesting word. Uh, It's the Greek word theopneustos. And that's two words. Theos is God and nuo is breathe. God breathe. Uh, If your Bible doesn't have God breathe in it, write it there. God breathe. I have about 19 translations on my Bible computer. And I I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't read them. Uh, But every now and then I'm curious. And so I punch the word in, inspiration. Just to find out how many of them actually did the literal translation. God breathed. I found only four, four translations did that. All the rest said inspired. Uh, we believe that the Bible does not just contain the word of God. Uh, that means it's in there somewhere. But we believe the Bible is the word of God. And there's a difference there. And we believe that God has preserved His Word in thousands of languages and translations all over the world. People say, how, how can the Word of God ever pass down from one generation to one generation? It's called preservation. I believe this. If God put it together, He can keep it together. Can I have an amen? Uh, he can keep it together, and He has kept it together. He has somehow miraculously protected the Bible because he wants each generation to have it in their own language. He wants them to have it. And the Wycliffe Bible translators are working feverishly, even creating languages that we heard a couple of weeks ago. And then putting that language, uh, then, then figuring out the Bible in that new language, which they created. Well, we believe that, that that's why we have such a high esteem of the Bible. That's why we revere it so much, because it's not a creation of man. It's a creation of God. And people say all the time, you know, uh, well, you know, men wrote the Bible. You know, that, doesn't that open it up for all sorts? Men wrote the Bible. Well, 
The Bible says in Peter, holy men of God wrote the Bible. There's a difference. As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God just didn't say, hey, Bill out here, you start writing. He said, listen, Bill, I see your heart. I can move on you and I can tell you what to write. Bill said, sure, let's start. Give me a pen. Uh, Let's look at verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with blank spiritual blessings. What's it say? Every spiritual blessing for all the saints. Boy, I love this. This is, this is Ephesians starting out on a high plane right here. Now, do you know what Christianity is about spiritual blessings? It's not about you and me becoming healthy, wealthy, happy. It's not about that. And people are so discouraged... Oftentimes, when they hear things on television or on the radio that you're going to be wealthy and healthy and happy. Uh, This is what Christianity is about right here. It's about having every spiritual blessing that God has available for you. Now, you know what this means? This means that every single person in our church, if you're a saint, which you are, by the way, and we'll talk about that in a minute, has every single spiritual blessing available to you that any other Christian person has. And, you know, if there's any one single thought that I could give you this morning, it would be that thought. Because, you know, we're so easily intimidated spiritually. I know I have been through the years. You know, you you hear some teacher or preacher and you say, oh my, isn't that incredible? And we're like intimidated and we say, oh, man, I must not be I must not be in the in group. You know, I can't I don't know it like that. I can't do that. Well, you know, God doesn't pass out his blessings like that. God passes out his blessings based on his view of his children. And you know how you love each one of your children equally most of the time? I know I do. Every now and then I'll call one of my kids and I'll say, how's my favorite third son? Then I'll call the other and I'll say, how's my favorite second son? They're all favorites to me. Most of the time. But you know, that's the way God looks at the church. You're his favorite son. You're his favorite daughter. No one has like the inside tract. We all do. You might say, well, what about the pastor? He's been teaching for 40 years. He's been reading the Bible. He's been traveling. He's been doing all these things. Don't he have some kind of like inside little thing that he can do? No, he don't. Sorry to disappoint you. He doesn't. He just stands in line at the family of God just like you. He's just one of God's favorite sons. That's all. And so that means that, that the world is wide open for you spiritually. That every single blessing that God has is for you. And I know a lot of times we think, boy, it's for someone else. I know it's for that person. It's for that. No, it's for you. You're the person. That's what the Bible says. Look at it here. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, blessed us. That's all the Christians, all the saints in Ephesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Boy, that's good. He says this is to the saints. Now, let me say a little word about the saints, okay? Now, there are some churches that you go into, and that's the term that they use, the saints. Anybody? but uh, We're the saints. They hear that all the time. Listen, that's a good term. Uh, 
It's the Greek word hagios, and it's translated saint 61 times, but it's translated holy 161 times, and so that's what it means. It means a holy one, and uh, it means a Christian. And so, I know you don't look at yourself like you're saints, do you? Uh, does, does John ever look to you like a saint? Go ahead. No, probably not. But let me tell you this. The rest of the day, I want you to call him St. John, okay? Because that's really... And I want you to call her St. Didi, okay? Uh, but uh, biblically, that's right. All of us are holy ones, and, and if we want to get real biblical... Now, I know in our culture up here in the north, you don't think you get to be a saint until after you die and someone else figures it out for you. But that's not the way it works biblically. When a person believes in Jesus, they become a saint. Now, I know you can't convince your spouse of that, and so maybe you ought not to use it, but you could if you wanted to. Uh, all these good gifts comes to the, come to the saints. Uh, James 1.17, let's look at that verse up here, please. Let's read this together. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, all the blessings of God come down from him, and they are in Christ. Now, let me say to you this, and I think you'll enjoy this. The spiritual resources that are available to you are in Christ. Not in the church. Not in your Sunday school class. Not in your favorite small group. They are only found in Jesus. Can I have an amen? The church can't carry you to heaven. The church can't do a whole lot of things for you. The church is just to whet your appetite to, have, to develop a relationship with Jesus. Because if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, all the little bumps along the road in the church will mess your mind up. But I'll tell you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can hit a lot of bumps. Because you're not serving the church necessarily, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference, you know that? It really is. And so, our spiritual resource is Christ. And so, a lot of times people look in the wrong places. You know, they say, oh man, I just love the church, I just feel so good, I feel, I learned something, uh, etc. So, that's all, that's all fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you, that's secondary. Secondary to the source of our spiritual blessings, that is Christ. Let's go on. Wow. Uh, look at this in verse 4. God, as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. The choosing of God. The word here, chosen, uh, means to be chosen for Him. You know, God didn't cho choose you or me for us he chose us for Him, for His purposes, for His plan. And that's hard for us to really digest that in our world because we live in a world that's all, it's all about me, right? I mean, it's all about me getting my little piece of the American dream. But, uh, but God says, listen, I chose you for me. And it's interesting uh, here the Bible says He chose us before the foundation of the world. And you see the last two little words there at the end of the verse, in love? 
That's the thing that motivated God. God looked down before He made the world and He loved you. And He knew you. And He chose you. You might say, boy, man, that blows my mind. That blows my mind. It really does. I can't figure that out. But that's what the Bible says. God chose you before the foundation of the world. He had you on His mind and He loved you. And, he, he, and the purpose of it was for you to be holy and without blame before Him or in His eyes. Now, this is so neat. Whenever a person is saved, they become holy and without blame before God in His eyes. You know, you look at yourself and you say, boy, I'm really kind of a messed up person. That's, that's being honest, right? Some of us are afraid to say that. You, we look at ourselves and we say, listen, I'm a Christian. I know I've accepted Jesus, but boy, I'll tell you what, there are things in my life. Uh, and we, we become very unhappy with ourselves. But God chose you before the foundation of the world because He loved you to be holy and without blame before Him. And the way that can happen, there's only one way that that can happen, is in Christ. Because we really believe that when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of their sins are forgiven. We believe that. All of them. You might say, what I did yesterday? Yeah. What I'm going to do today? Yes. What I'm doing tomorrow? Yes. It's all under the blood of Christ. Holy and without blame before Him in His eyes. God looks at us through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Now, we don't look at ourselves that way, do we? We should, but we don't. We see all of the glaring errors and faults in our life. And, you know, we can become preoccupied with this, and I don't think God wants us to do that, but I think God wants us to work on our life so that the power of the Spirit can help us be transformed into the profile of Christ. Don't you think? And so the Holy Spirit looks at you and He says, Listen, you've got this problem and this problem and this problem. Don't be too discouraged. Just start saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Because Christian growth is a lifelong process and we don't expect people to come into the church and look like Jesus in a year or two. Or three or four. We don't expect that. But we can be changed from glory to glory, the Bible says, from one level of maturity to the next level of maturity if we walk with Christ. Uh, And that's the only solution. He chose us for Him. We're adopted into His family. You know, I believe adoption is one of the greatest blessings in all the world. Uh, John and Debbie Sargent, they're wonderful people in our church. Uh, They were... Two of the people that helped us start our Saturday night service about ten years ago. Somebody won them to Christ. I believe it was Danny Freeze. Went to their house and won them to Christ. They came to church. They started to grow in God. And we had these little attendance forms on Saturday night. They would put their name on. A John and Debbie Sargent. Prayer request. Pray that God will give us a family. And so we take that serious. When somebody says to pray, we do that. And so we started to pray that God would give them a family. And and, uh, they got discouraged in waiting. And so they decided to adopt a little girl. And this is the cutest little girl you ever saw. And some of you know the rest of the story. They adopted this little girl and, uh, and then found out that she was pregnant. 
And so then I have two little babies in the house. I think they're like five months apart or something. And then, and then a little time later, this little boy came along. I, I find it real curious that I find no more prayer requests from Debbie Sargent. <laughs> you know, there's this verse in the Bible that says, He will do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. I don't think she ever thought of that, do you? But I think God saw two wonderful people and he says, Okay, you want kids? Here they are. Splash. And she has this testimony to this day. You know, after she had all these kids, they were like, You know, Debbie's a little frazzled anyway. Don't tell her that. Uh, you know, uh, she got so frazzled out with all these kids. She says, I, We just like couldn't get up for church for a long time. I think she's finally figured it out though. But, you know, they have a great love because uh, adoption is a wonderful thing. And that's what God has done for us. He's, he's chosen you to be in his family. And isn't that a great thing that God looked down at you and said, listen, I want you. And you say, who, me? Yeah, you, you, I want you. Well, you know, unlike uh, little baby adoption, you know, little babies don't have any choice. We do. God can say, I want to adopt you in my family. And we can say, listen, God, I don't want in your family. And there are a lot of people doing that today. You know that? They don't want to have anything to do with God. But boy, I'll tell you, what a family. Amen. What a family. The family of God. It's great. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. I... I um,